0: Welcome to the Frontlines of Freedom with me, your host, Ivan Mawaride. And I'm from Zimbabwe, where I started a citizen's movement that spoke truth to power, demanding justice, demanding democracy and better governance. For that, I was arrested. I was tortured and charged with treason and eventually escaped Zimbabwe to now live in exile. In my job, I get the chance to speak to some of the most amazing individuals. These are people that have stood up at great risk to their own lives to bring freedom to bring justice and 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 to tell the world of some of the most heinous atrocities that are taking place in different regions so today i'm speaking with my friend Abdulaziz Alhamza, all the way from Syria. And he's a journalist, but not just a regular journalist, but someone that really turned the idea of reporting, the idea of journaling, the idea of telling the world on his head. And for that, he suffered a lot. But before that, you must understand how much of a decorated journalist he is. It's, it's amazing to know that Abdalaziz received numerous awards that include the CPJ International Press Freedom Awards by the Committee to Protect Journalists. He was named a global thinker by foreign policy in 2016. He was awarded the Wonder of Humanity Award by Sir Richard Branson uh, and Virgin Unite. He was also awarded the Ishia International Journalism Award, the Civil Courage Prize, uh, and so many other awards for the work that he has done. And I know I say this all the time that it's not about the awards, but it's worth noting when people have been recognized for the work that they do. Abdalaziz, always recall you. Aziz, welcome to the podcast and thank you for spending time with me today.
1: Of course, thank you for having me. Aziz, I
0: want to start by asking your story and where it begins. You are born in Raqqa in Syria. Over the years, the world has known about what happened in Syria or what is happening in Syria. And I think sometimes we have a tendency of forgetting when things cycle out of the news, we think that things have stopped happening. If you can just walk us very briefly in in the first few minutes of our chat, what has happened in Syria and what is still happening in Syria, and particularly in Raqqa, where you were born.
1: So, like everything started in March 2011 at the time I was like 20 years old I was like a college student I didn't have like any like political background I wasn't a journalist I was studying biochemistry at the time when the protests started, like all over the country, at the time, like the Arab Spring started in the region, there were like many countries where people were protesting. We were hearing news. It was like a spark for us in the Middle East. It was like it was uh, Libya, it was Tunisia, it was uh, Egypt, and all started when like a group of primary school students they were like watching the news and they were hearing slogans like, like "Down with the regime," and they went tag the walls with the graffiti saying like "down with the regime they didn't understand anything you were talking about kids that they were not even like in mid or high school they were like just kids so the security yeah so the security service came arrested them tortured the kids like take their nails off and here we're talking about kids not even adults so when their parents their family families went like to ask for them like the officer was you know You've like brought to the world bad kids, forget about your kids. If you go make a new kids, if you can not do that, send your wives and we'll make new kids.
0: Aziz, this is really, really, really brutal stuff you're talking about. They pulled the nails out of the kids, their, their fingernails. And when their parents came to complain, they said that you have not raised kids that are good enough. Go and have some more kids. And if you can't do that... Bring your wives here and we will do it for you.
1: Exactly. So that was like the response. Like instead of like dealing with kids, you know, and here we're talking about like an authoritarian regime that has been in power for almost like 50 years, over 50 years. So for them, they always think that they can solve things with power. And that's like the way to oppress people right away. And not even people, kids at the time, right? So many people there started protesting, just asking for the kids and they were just asking for freedom. So it's like the freedom that we can go and say, we need our kids. We need our kids back. There wasn't like anything against the government at the beginning, you know, so people were scared like an authoritarian regime. People were like, we need our kids back. And the thing is, instead of the regime being, like, practical or smart and goes, like, like release the kids, go in a statement saying, hey, we're sorry, we did a mistake, whatever. Like, if they've done that, like, that might have changed, like, the entire situation. But instead, they went and they started shooting the protesters. So they started arresting them. And the news got, like, all over the county. That started in a city called Dara, which is in North Syria, which is, like, literally, like, seven hours drive from my city. So we got the news in all over the country, people all over the cities, they were like protesting. And then the government kept reacting the same way. So by shooting people, arresting them, killing them, And that got people mad and more angry. So the protest like moved from asking for freedom to asking down with the regime, like demanding a change in in the regime. As I said, like a regime that's been in power for 50 years, shooting protesters, arresting them, and just like all peaceful protests at the time. They were like nothing, just like peaceful protesters first asking for freedom and then like the basic rights. And the response of the government was like, you know what, like I'm going to come and
0: no i'm I'm listening to what you're saying, and I know that even for some of our listeners that may be difficult to comprehend that there could be such a response from you know from a regime the The man who had been in power he'd been in power for how long, how did he get into power, and the history of syria as a as a government had it ever been a democracy before?
1: Yeah, it's been always like a democracy. There was like military coup changing the regime all the time until like half of Assad, which is like the father of Bashar al-Assad, the, the curtain regime president. So his dad came into power like in the like 70s, like late 70s. And then when he died, he died in 2000. So and the thing is, they the constitution to become a president, you need to be like 40 years old and plus. So in a few hours and like his son was like in his thirties. So what they did, like they changed the constitutions in a few hours to fit his son to be get into power. Yeah, so we are supposed to be like a, a republic. We are supposed to have elections. Do we have elections? Yes. But like if you look at the election statistics or percentage, like there are like few times that the asset like both like the father and the son would win like a hundred percent. Which means, like, sometimes, like, like some other authoritarian governments, they would take it, right? They would say, like, 70%, 75 80%.
0: But they, these guys said 100%. 100%, like, you
1: know, it's like, which means, like, there aren't one single citizen. Like, what about, like, the other person that ran against you?
0: That's impossible.
1: Yeah, didn't that, did, did that person vote? for himself? Like, do I run to be a president and fall to the other one? And if it's not like a 100%, it's like 99.9 or 99. So, which makes zero sense. And here, like, and they cannot say, it's like, oh, we have elections. We have democracy, like what you're talking about.
0: What an interesting uh, historical aspect of, of the government. I mean, there's little surprise then that the responses would be the way they are. Now, where do you come in? I, I mean, this... The protests are happening. People are being shot at and killed. They're being tortured. You're a journalist. Were you already a journalist at that time? The one thing I know is that you were studying, if I'm not mistaken, it's biochemistry in university. Correct. So how do you then transition to becoming a journalist?
1: Right. So the thing is, when I was like hearing about the protests happening all over the country, it was like so shocking. Like for me, it took me like a minute to process. Because as I said, we grew up like in an authoritarian regime. So I remember like growing up, like what people would say, the walls have ears, which mean like, everyone could be a spy. So you can't say like anything. And then we hear stories like, ah, someone was like, uh, arrested, like for like, political beliefs or whatever they would people would say ah oh, he's not going to see the sun anymore which mean he would be either like in a cell where he would be like in jail for the, the rest of their lives or they would be killed. So that how brutal that was. Like nobody would dare to talk about the government, to talk about the president or anything. So for me, it's like a shocking moment when I was seeing like people protesting. And you talk about a regime that has been in power for 50 years. So they built like a really strong, intelligence system. For me, I was, like, just looking, seeing, like, how we were like, getting arrested, getting killed, getting tortured, live on TV. And that was, like, for, like, the first, like, week or so. And then the government controlled all media. So what they did, the first thing they did, they kicked out all international media agencies, like, you know, like Al Jazeera, BBC, CNN, like, everything that was, like, not local, not governmental, was, like, kicked outside of the country. And they only allowed the local... TV, which is like regime control. So it's like a propaganda TV, and like for me, I was like I joined the protest like early in the beginning, and being like part of the protest, and I've seen things like in my own eyes, you know, like when I was like going home, I was like watching TV, like waiting for the local TV, like to report there are like protests in the countries, like you know, to check like what's happening, you know, like we're talking about like hundreds of thousands of people, and some boy got like into millions, you know, protesting like in almost like eighty percent of the country. I would go home. To be like the local TV, like streaming a documentary. What would happen to the what would happen to the Earth if the sun would disappear? And then like another one talking about animals. So and it was like you know people are dying. Like people are like all over like the places and like nobody is talking about it. And they're not even showing that. No 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 absolutely not. As uh, there were, like nothing. It's uh, like any normal sunny shiny day in heaven at the time. Even like technology wasn't that like pro progressed. Like at the time I remember having like a Nokia phone, you know, like the old Nokia phone with just like first game with the Bluetooth and like memory card or whatever. And I was like happy about it. That was like in twenty eleven. Next time I was like at the protest, I was like filming with my phone. I had enough knowledge like on social media like a good like tech background so I started like emailing, sending like the video that I talk to different like media agencies like you know international one like getting into VPN, trying to protect my identity whatever and then like I came was like watching TV and the video that I sent like with like a nickname like you know I couldn't touch my name for security reasons and the video was like playing almost like everywhere like all like major TV channels so at the time like I believe like in the power of the camera the power of force the power of journalism and at the time it was like you know me with my cheap old Nokia phone I could like take a video that like Millions of people all over the world have seen, and that brought attention. And here, when like the idea of like citizen journalism was born within the protest, within the revolution, and here when we noticed that like yeah, us as citizens, we can make like a huge change. We can like inform, educate people. We can like bring awareness to different causes and cases. A few friends and I, we decided like to be more organized. We started like using social media, mainly Facebook and Twitter, and then it was like the idea, even not like. Parting news itself it's like the idea of like organizing ourselves at that time because there was like not like a real way of organizing protests because they were like it wasn't like something people were prepared for it just like came in a hot second like out of the blue there weren't like a political party or like someone in charge they were like just like locals going to the street protesting so at the time like starting like different like pages like on facebook you know we were like calling people like come this day, and it's like mainly like the Fridays. Friday, people, they were like trying to take advantage of the situation. The government at the time wouldn't dare like breaking into mosque. So like mosque, which is like where people go to pray. So even those that they were like from different religions and like non-believers or whatever, they would go to the mosque because that was like the safest place, you know, because they wouldn't break into it. And then like the Friday prayer, it, it, like here, like in the U.S. or Europe, it's like the Sunday, you know, prayers and church. So like all people go there. After that, people would go like in big numbers. As like, we'd say like at the time we were like media agencies, we would like plan and vote for what mosque. So the thing is, people would be brave knowing that they're walking into the mosque and like the secret service, the police, the army in some places are outside with. So, but the thing is like, it's like the power of people. Like we talk about like hundreds, thousands that they would join from like other places all protesting at the same time. It started this way. It started this way and then it was like the idea Oh, why do we do not start from like three, four different locations you know, so like not to get them all like organized in one place, but like to spread all the protests all over. You know, so it started like this way and that had like a big effect. So people they knew like what time, they knew the location, so they had like information and then through those pages we started like uploading things and like big media agencies instead of emailing each time because like having like the government would shut down the internet sometimes and we had like to find like the fun ways to get access to the internet. So it wasn't like easy like to email like every. So with like upload that on Facebook where everyone can see it, you know, and even like those media agencies, they can like take it, pick it up and stream it. And it all started this way. Uh, I got like myself into it. As I said, never studied anything like related to journalism, media or anything at all. It's just like basic knowledge. We've done many mistakes. We learned from our mistakes. Like one of them was like safety. Like we've got many of my colleagues were arrested because they were like using Facebook to communicate. Right. We had like no idea that like our government would like control like this like the internet and like messages through the like, internet. Yeah. You know, so we didn't know about like encrypted apps, like how to protect your like online identity and like other things.
0: And this is fascinating, by the way, you know, to hear you speak about this because there's a similarity with my own story and the stories of some of the other democracy advocates I've spoken about is people that started by accident, people that were not prepared, people that used basic tools and just uploaded a simple video and that went viral and then, and then they began to Organize, And I can hear in your story the same themes where you now start to say, okay, let's put a bit of strategy to this now. But I can also hear the mistakes you're talking about, because this is what happens to people like us who are not prepared for these moments. We make these mistakes, you know, but we learn from them and we're almost building the plane as it flies. But this is what you guys end up doing. Now, some of your friends who were arrested during that time, are those, are many of those still in prison? Did they make it out? I, and I don't know, again, you know, what happened to those that were taken during those those early days.
1: So, yeah, during like those early days, like many of those people like went to jail and never came back. Many of them stayed there like in for years and they were released. There are like many who are still in jails. There are like hundreds of thousands of Syrians who are still in jail. Many Many of them for like over 10 years by now. It's different, like, you and your, like, what city are you at? Who are your parents? What your family? Do you have money, like, to bribe? Like the officer or like someone to get you out of jail. So it was like, you know, you're talking about like a corrupted regime. The thing is, like, sometimes, like, with money, you can't solve it. Like, you know, but there were like others, they weren't lucky enough, you know, to have money, you know, like to go after their kids or like bribe like an officer or someone to get like their kids or like their, like, you know, their relatives, like brothers, family members out of jail. So many people have like, they weren't like fortunate enough. Some like, again, like, you you never know, like what's going to happen to you. So there aren't like a specific specific system that would like you know you you can like understand or follow like system that would tell you that you're gonna spend like x days in jail or like we'd go through this and yeah, I was arrested three times myself. Like each time was like a different period, and I was like in a city where it's like big family, so that also played like a big role why I wasn't like killed or like was like released at some point. So the thing is like there wasn't like you know one rule that applied to everyone that went to jail. So many of those, many of my friends, yeah, many of them like because my, my city was like a tribal big family city, so if they want to kill someone, they would transfer them to a different city. Where they would kill them, so they kill them like far from their like family, so their families can't do much about it, right? And that was like also like a tactic that the government used. The thing is like it went like this way, and then the government couldn't like control Portis, so they started using like warplanes and helicopters, you know. So it's like the idea, you know, like barrels that people use for like oil or whatever. So they would fill them with all sharp things, like small, tiny, sharp things that would like, you know, anti-anti. So those like pearl bombs that they threw from like a helicopter from like high distance. So when this like barrel hit the ground, it exploded. And it's not only the explosion that would destroy everything, all sharp metals that they put inside it would like kill people like in mind. So that was like an wait, but Aziz, you're
0: telling me that they that now nah, this is this is this is another level of cruelty, my brother. You they created barrels. They took barrels of these big barrels of oil and just put shrapnel inside and TNT, and, and then just dropped it from airplanes into crowds of people. And when it explodes, they would they would just rip people apart.
1: Totally. So that would exactly what they would do. Besides like the F-16 that would come like with airstrikes. And that didn't stop people. Like it was like destruction all over the country. Like many cities like would you look. And like, again, we're talking about Syria. like the first civilization ever. You know, you're talking about like where like all the entire world started. It's like an historical place. So like many like places that lived for like ages since like the start of Earth were kind of like a race, like many part of the country. And the most important thing is like people, like people were like hundreds of people dying. And then they didn't stop there, like, you know, by arresting, torturing people, killing them, executions, public executions, like shooting, barrel bombs, airstrikes, they take it into a different level using chemical attacks. So the thing is like, how we can kill like more people. So there was like, oh, we use like chemical attacks. Then like they would just like drop barrels that full with chemicals and again you we've started seeing people dying without blood. That was like the most the saddest thing you would ever see about kids dying at their home. Why? Because they were, like, just breathing. They didn't do anything. You were, like, just, like, breathing, and you're dying. You know, you suffocate to death. And that was, like, the regimes that didn't care. Like, kids, old women, fighters, non-fighters, they didn't care about. So for them, it's, like, the idea, want to kill everyone. And here we were talking about, like, the regime and the regime brutality. Like, I said that before Al-Qaeda, before ISIS. And that's something, like, many people don't pay attention to. Many people are like, ah, The problem is only ISIS, only Al-Qaeda and all. Like, it all started with the government. It all started with the regime. If if the president or, like, the regime, you know, okay, we're going to listen to the people and we're going to, like, move on, you know, leave, like, power that we've been having for 50 years. People, like, we wouldn't get into that point. Like, we didn't. I don't want to get into the international community, like, what they've done. Like, you know, talking about the US, Europe, like, President Obama coming on TV, was like chemical attacks are red, red line. And here you're talking about the U.S., the most powerful country on earth, as many people say. And then the reaction of the U.S., Europe, like the rest of the world, like kind of like stating that chemical attacks are red lines. It's like a red line. And they did nothing. It was like a green pass to the regime. That do it again. Like you've done it once, we didn't do anything. So keep doing it. And like the international community didn't do anything. So they were like just watching. No, no, it's zero thing. Like besides like giving talks and speeches on TV, that's all. People didn't need those talks. The thing is like they didn't do anything. Like not sanctions, not put pressure, not trying to do anything. They were like just watching. And that was like the period at the time, many people from the army, they decided that we can't be part of this corrupted regime. So many of them, they started running away. They got themselves organized. Not really organized. It's like the, the idea starts at the time. So like called like the Free Syrian Army, it's like idea of those who were like at the government regime, like the regime army, they would run away, come together. The main idea was to protect the protesters. After like almost like a year, when like killing or like you know, not having like any military, like any like organizational like military groups, and then they started like to get bigger because like many people have noticed, like you know, those protesters are like my family members, my sibling, my relative, my people people, my neighbors, you know. So many But the number of people that they were like defecting from the government regime and joining like the opposition started to grow. Again, like the opposition didn't get that fund. Uh, Again, it wasn't like an organized thing. Well, a trade, organized, you're talking about like just like random people running with their like clashing cough, like K-47 or whatever it's called, like the gun, that's all what they would have. So they didn't have like enough equipment. I like the regime. And even with those like small groups and then the regime was like smart. When you talk about authoritarian regimes, they all smart. They all always prepared. So that's why there is a breast people from day one. Like long story short, like during the Iraq war, many of like the extremists that went to Iraq to fight at the time, they went through Syria. They would land in Syria, cross borders to Iraq, and many of them ran away back to Syria. So when they came back, the Syrian regime arrested all of them. So, and like in the end of 2011, so the regime was like, I need like an excuse, like I've been killing people, like, so like the international community is talking, talking. So there was like void in some point that the international community might have done something, you know, but like sadly, as I said, nothing was done. They did what's called like international amnesty, which means they released all like those extremists from jail. What you're expecting when you release someone who's like ready to blow himself. Like, you know, released, like a terrorist that was like in jail for ages. So they, those people, they wouldn't go and build a school, you know, or like help starting a garden. And then when those were like released, they started creating like small radical groups. Right. And then the regime used that like an excuse was like, ah, oh, we're fighting terrorism. That's the reason why. So it was like a way for them, like when in the like, security council, whatever, even though there weren't much done, it was like a way to justify it. Like why you killing your own people? terrorists. But like, what about all those videos are all fake videos, like filmed like in somewhere outside of the country in studios.
0: You know, this this progression has happened. You Are you still in Syria? you you'd been arrested a, a bunch of times. But by now, your network of... Amateur citizen journalist has grown or, you know, it, it's, it's, it's active. What happens to you then? How does this grow? Because eventually you start something that is now known globally as Raqqa is being slaughtered silently. How does that start? What was that all about?
1: So, correct. So, like, after that period, like, in 2014, like, those, like, extremists that they were released, like, in, they were, like, in early 2012. And then they got, like, stronger and stronger in 2014. There was, like, in 2013. Like, my city was, like, the first city to be liberated from, like, the regime, from, like, the government. The government forces were, like, pushed outside of the city. There were, like, different position groups, like, some other vertical small groups that they were there. And then here, like, you're talking about a vacuum in power. Like, you know, are talking about a gap. Even though, like, you know, like, we, we had like, a government. Woke up next day, there was no government, right? It's, like, the idea that there is, like, no government in charge at all. And that at the time, like the civil society organization, they stepped up and they took care of the city. so there were like the front calls like for anyone to go back to work, to run the city, electricity, water services. it was like all like civil society organization. they were like all local like activists like myself and others. So at the time, we kind of felt safer, so we most of us were known, but like others they were like undercover, we came out to life because you know there was no government anymore, right. And then we were like, oh, OK, this group go clean, this group go like help with running like the Internet or like phones or communications.
0: So you guys became the service delivery system. You became the local government.
1: Yeah. So there was like what's called like the local like department or whatever that was like in charge of the like, you know, running the city, like literally like running everything in the city. And yeah, so there was like different like bodies that was like in charge of running the city. So that was like the moment that we were thought, like, ah, oh, you know, we're kind of getting like the freedom that we've been like asking for, right? It's like this idea that, ah, oh, okay, we can like express ourselves. We were like protests, like without being like worried that they would come and arrest us. It is true. It is true. But like, again, we're talking about like most of those opposition group, they weren't like funded well. Most of them, they weren't trained. They were like just local people. And then those like, you know, like, like extremists, they had like years of experience fighting like in Afghanistan, Taliban, like with Taliban, with Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, like different places all over the world. So they were like well trained. And for them, they are like brainwashed in a way that they're ready to die. Like, they're ready to blow themselves up. We're not talking about, like, a normal human that would fight, but, like, at the same time would be, like, worried about themselves. Like, you know, that like, I want to survive. But talking about people that they want to die. So, like, their main goal is to die. Those, like, radical groups started becoming bigger. Like, at the time, it's, like, a joint forces between Al-Qaeda and Islamic State in Iraq that existed since, like, the Iraq War in 2003. So it's, like, both radical groups joined forces together. And then they decided that they want to take control. When they started doing this, they started arresting, like, all opposition leaders, like, opposition leaders. They were, like, kidnapping, Like, you know, that's how it started. And then I was, like, also investigated by ISIS, arrested multiple times because of me being a journalist. And they were, like, trying to know who are, like, the people that I'm working with that they are not, like, aware of.
0: So you were taken, you were detained by ISIS, and they interrogated you?
1: Yes. I was, like, kind of arrested by everyone. So, uh, yeah, everyone arrested. Yeah, I was, like, you know, I was, like, a journalist. I was, like, a war journalist. So I would go, like, you know, to, like, where they would be fighting, like, the front lines, like, do, like, live streaming, like, the different channels in some point, like, when the city was, like, liberated. So besides, like, my under. Ground like journalism when it started at the time, we gained like more experience. We were like more organized. We grew as a like a group, a team, and then we were like getting some small like support with like kind of like advanced video cameras because like we were like getting them, you know, from some like media agencies that we were like collaborating with, right? And then. For said they were like scared of the idea of media. They knew like how powerful media and journalism is. For them, they're like, they like what is it, like on the ground fighting? Like it's hard like to beat them. Like if you're like, you know, street fights, like guns, whatever. But for them... That's like an easy thing for them. But the thing is, like, when it's like an online media war, that's something that they, they are scared of. Like, they, it's not something they can shoot or blew themselves in. For them, it was like they were like trying to silence all of us like from the beginning. So at that time, there were like other opposition groups. So that's why they didn't kill me. The fight started between the opposition and ISIS. And then ISIS was able like to get rid of the opposition. Took control of the entire city. They came after my friends and I. They were like, and that's the time when I knew that I couldn't stay in Syria anymore. I've never thought that I would leave home at all in my mind, I was like, you know, I was like a multiple time. I was like in and out. I was like injured. I was like, you know, like mentally and physically exhausted and tired. I had like times where I couldn't walk. So it was like, you know, all those things, but see like enough people dying, like covering, like, you know, as a journalist, cover everything. Like I've seen like hundreds of people. I've seen like enough blood. So for me, I was like, with all of that, I was like, I didn't leave the country, but I got into a place where I was like, if I would say I need to stay hidden and the second they would find me, I would be killed, executed, like right away.
0: So you knew at that time that it was no longer safe, that this now, the next move, I mean, you'd survived arrests, you'd survived interrogations and possibly tortures and all sorts of things. But now you knew that the next move would be to take your life. What did you do? How did you eventually leave? Walk us through your escape from there.
1: Yeah, so the thing is, like, I was, like, covering, like, all, like, the fights. I was, like, moving from a neighborhood to another neighborhood. I got the news, kind of, like, known within, like, the city by, with my work. So I've got the news that ISIS came, like, to my parents' house looking for me, to kill me. And I was lucky enough not to be there. If it did happen that I was at my parents' house, I would have been killed in 2014. Yeah, so I wouldn't be here talking with you right now. For me, I was like, survived like Joe's enough. I was like, okay, I'm lucky. And then here when I was like questioning, I was like, I don't want to leave the country, but I don't want to leave my city, but like where I would go. And then I knew or me saying at the country and my city, it would be just like useless. Like I wouldn't be able to do anything, right? Like I would be no help. So even though it was like a hard choice, like one of the hardest things that I've done in my life, I decided like I need to escape. It was like a long process. I had to take my, the thing in Syria, and I think like in many countries in the Middle East, we do our IDs when we're like 11 or 12 or 13. So that's like when our photo stick and it's like valid for like 20 years or something. So we all look alike, you know, it's like we're all kids, like 11. So there was like nine, 10 years. And so the thing is like, you would like bring two people who are adults put them next to each other. It was like, what the percentage, like how look alike they are. There's like maybe five or when you look at the IDs, it was like like ninety nine, you know, because like all kids, like same like haircut, be like size things. So we all look the same. Yeah, so like one of my friends who was like also my colleague at the university, he was like, you know, I was like hiding at his place at the time and for him just like me that was like a huge risk because if they would find out that I was at his place, they would also kill him. Yeah, so I was like, man, I don't know what I'm what I'm doing, what I need to do. He was like, You need to get outside of the country. And I was like talking about how and he was like brave enough to give me his ID. So he was like, You take my ID, you go. So I went like under a different name. I couldn't have like anything with like prove my ID. I was leaving the country with like literally an old phone with like just like a sim card or like like no like phone like with no internet but nothing on it that they can like search. and with like nothing would prove who i am like you know if i was like kidnapped killed and found like there is like nothing on me and then i had like to go to another country but i to another city because like first like my goal was like i need to cross to turkey at that time to close all borders so i need to go to another i had to go i, I ended up going to another city where it was like controlled by the opposition, and then it was like hard, and then we went towards the border. I crossed the borders illegally on foot, like walking, and that's when I get to, to Turkey so and when I got to Turkey, that was like the time where I knew that like even me being in exile, I can do war. It was like this idea how we can like continue and maintain the work, so many of my colleagues. They never came from there undercover. They all decided for like many of them, they were like, had multiple reasons not to kind of expose their identity. So they weren't known for anyone. So, and we stayed like in touch. So there was a like, group of us that had to leave the country and we ended up in Turkey. And there was like rest of the group that stayed in Syria and Raqqa, like, you know, and different parts of the country that nobody knew about. And at the time, ISIS was like no better than the Syrian regime. And as, like, everyone know, like, in a matter of, like, weeks, they were, like, all over, like, you know, first, like, nobody heard about them. Like, even, like, President Obama said, like, are a, a bubble that would disappear. Like, nobody even, like, paid enough attention to them, right? That's, like, you know, they're, like, a tiny group that would, like, be gone. And at the time, like, when they talk over, they started changing, like, everything about the city. Like, the city become, like, a dark place. They started, like, painting everything with black. They started like forcing people, like, like forcing women, like to cover themselves. Everyone who had like a governmental job or any jobs like related to the government, they had like them arrested, they got them to leave their jobs. They were like people who were leaving, they started taking their houses and their places. They started like, you know, arresting, killing people, torturing them for small things. Like if you small, they torture you. And the thing they would do it like in a public square, like where everyone would see it.
0: Where everyone can say, and this was to, this, this was to make an example for everyone else to see that, you know, this is what will happen to you, right?
1: Totally. Yeah, I've seen these things before. They talk over like that was like the. I mean, I was like in the, It wasn't like as brutal as they talk, as they just like they talk over. But like before, it's like I remember, I've seen like the first public execution. So it was like in the center of the city. It's like for them, that's like the first time. And that was before they took control of the city, like, in a matter of few months. So, and I do remember, like, them, like, bringing people, like, they are all masked up. And, like, even, like, themselves are masked. So you do not know who are those people. Who are the people that they were killing and who are them? You have no idea. And they've been, like, before that, they were, like, calling everyone in the city that they would do it. So to let all people come and gather and make an example was, like, that's how we do it. Uh, we were not afraid or scared or whatever. We do it like in front of everyone. And I remember there were like different civil society organizations, like in a protest at the time, what they do. They did like in back in like, back in Syria, like that, in different parts, especially Iraq, where I'm from, the tradition when someone dies, you do like a funeral tent where people come, their respect. And there you they serve like coffee, like black coffee or like arabic coffee that is like has like no sugar nothing just black which is like a way of express sadness so like the civil society organization bought tents in the middle of the city and call it like the homeland funeral because we knew that what's gonna be happening that's like they're gonna be like stabbing us so it was like a party saying that like you know those people they would kill our country and it would be so that's why it's called like homeland funeral. It was like organized by such a organization. So at the time I got to Turkey, I talked with our friends, took us like few days just like to process, we kept reporting. And then at the time like nobody heard of ISIS. Like it was like as it was like nothing. All like things that we've been seeing later on in TV, they were like happening but nobody like knew about it. And then they did the same thing that the Syrian regime did. They didn't allow any other media. Like it's only media offices that's related to them. You can't be, yeah, so same kind of like way of operating, like no other media, it's only us. We control the media, we control the narrative, we control everything. So for us, as we were like experienced, like working with the regime, against the regime, we decided like to... Like our work and kind of cover everyone, like not the regime, ISIS, Al Qaeda, Taliban, even the opposition, all other groups, you know, and other countries. At the time, the C- like the Syrian C- regime like was like asking for backup from Iran, Russia. I many militias started to come into the country. Many foreign fighters, ISIS started becoming a thing, and for us that. that moment when we decided to start what's called Raka is being slaughtered silently or RBSS. And like our main goal is just like, you know, bringing attention to what to what has been happening in our country, in our city, be like the voice for those voiceless trying like to promote the idea that those people are asking for like freedom asking for justice like asking for like basic human rights and because of that they're like getting killed like every single day in all brutal ways that you could think of you know as i mentioned like the other ways of barrel bombs like airstrikes gas chemical they started like using swords, started burning people alive, started drowning people in water. And all of these things, they were like filmed in a professional way. So ISIS wasn't like scared or worried. Therefore, then they need to send like a loud message. They was like, you know what? That's what we're going to do to you. You know, they got like people to kill each other. You know, they got like kids, recruited kids that they are like not even 10 years old, like killing people or beheading people. They shut down like all like for them even like to get into the people's mind. They turned Raqqa into what I call like North Korea. They illegalized all satellites and TV channel and cable. So the thing is, you can't watch TV anymore
0: anymore because you're not going to you're not going to see anything except what they put. And you're not going to see anything from outside and no one is allowed to bring any media. I mean, this is just such the dictator's playbook. I want to move us into just how you have continued with RBSS. Raqqa is being slaughtered silently uh, as we come to the end uh, in the next few minutes of our conversation. And I mean... We could keep talking because there's so much in your experiences and the things you have seen and the things you have done. At one point, RBSS was actually known as the most reliable source of information coming out of Raqqa and coming out of Syria. Has that continued till today? Are you still running that network? Is that still a platform that? that reports on what is happening in Syria and particularly in Raqqa
1: yeah we're still like operating we it's, like more intense in the beginning because that was like the rising of Isis and we've gone like two different things we created like a professional team but like that also came with a cost Isis was able like to assassinate like many of my colleagues not only in Syria There was like and even in Turkey and outside many of us we were like threatened. They tried to assassinate us, like even like in Europe and like different places. We have like death threats, so, but like that wasn't, they started killing even like family members as a way like to silence us, but they couldn't. They tried like always. Arresting family members, killing them, assassinated colleagues not only in Syria or in their territories like in even in Turkey. They came after us like everywhere. They put price money on us so it wasn't even like the idea if you're like a believer in their ideology it's like the idea of money like there was like million of dollars for anyone who would like kill my colleagues or me and for us we were like able like to work and operate we were like the most wanted by isis so for them they didn't give they didn't go like after any individual by name in most cases like you know like president or ministers or whatever more than us as journalists or activists, because they knew how powerful we were. So we were were able to expose all their brutality. Like they were trying to show that, ah, we are like, come, it's heaven. That's like where you would have like the best time of your life, whatever. So for us, we were doing like, exposing their propaganda showing like the reality of what's happening how people are running you know for hours to get like tiny food like a bit of food and it's like the only humanitarian kitchen was run by local people It wasn't even there so it's like always like this idea that they want to like starve you so you can join them when you join us and fight we're gonna take care of your family we're gonna give you salary us in US dollar whatever otherwise if you had like any job governmental job even like in services you can't like get paid whatever so, the thing is, like, they put you in a corner that you'd starve so you can join them. So, we were like exposing that. We did like the front, can basically like the other side, like what we take like a screenshot of like an ISIS video, what they like, you know, claiming to be. And we show the reality, you know, when they say like, oh, there are like a ton of food and everything, we show like a line, the lines of people waiting to get like a tiny bit of food. It went like this way. That's why we were able like, to be like the main source of information coming from all ISIS territories. At the time, we were like able to provide all international media agencies. So most of the videos that you've seen, that's not ISIS propaganda videos on TV, came through us. So and for us, we, were, we knew that we were able like to make a huge change because the number of foreign fighters that they were joining ISIS started like to squeeze, like started to go like less and less. For us we were able to reach like millions of people. Like we have like different views. We've been like an all major like TV channel. And that's the story of us. Like, you know, none of us my colleagues and I did study any media or any journalism. We talk like courses later on. We kinda of, like grew up like professionally. We talk about courses, how to film, how to protect our identity, and then that's how I'm still like involved in journalism politics, national and international security.
0: When I hear you explain what you explain, we've just spent a few minutes to explain things that happened over a long period of time, things that took so many lives, things that have destroyed so many families, where people have suffered, and we've tried to compress that into a few minutes. I want to ask you something before we end this today. You know, you've continued your work. And for me, that is a sign or a symbol of someone who is hopeful. You know, I know you've told me that you were able to see some of the results. You were reaching millions of people. You were countering the misinformation and disinformation coming out of uh, Syria through government propaganda. And that's amazing from people that were not even professional journalists. But what gives you hope? for uh, for Syria why do you continue what what is it that gives you hope that what you're doing is is making a difference or will make a difference
1: none from day one like how hard it would be and I knew the struggle and I know like getting rid of an authoritarian regime like critical groups. It's not something easy. It's not something like, you know, it doesn't come with any cost. But the thing is like when I look at different cases, situations in the histories, like different wars like for me, I lived like I was like, like after I left Turkey, I went to Germany and like living in Germany. It's like just like this idea that I was like in, in Berlin after I left Turkey. And just like being in Berlin, it's like this idea that I'm in a city that experienced like a brutal war like that's Like, like you know. And then I was like, how after the Second World War, nobody thought that Germany or like Berlin would be like the way how it is right now or nowadays. So it's always like this idea that like things might take years. There are like different revolutions, different wars that take like decades, centuries, not centuries, like decades or like, you know, hundreds of years. And then people, they got their freedom at the end. I might not live long enough to see that day, but like, I know at least it's like a spark for the next generation. I might struggle, our generation might struggle. I feel it's kind of late for us. We're all in exile. It might be like impossible for us to go back home in one day. But it's always like this idea, is it not for me? So my kids or, like, my friends' kids or, like, my neighbors and, like, the next generation would have, like, a better life, would have, like, a better future, would have, like, the basic right that we kind of, like, experience like, part of it or some of it, like, when we were in exile. It's, like, just the idea that, oh, we can have, like, electricity 24-7 and that's, like, a normal thing, you know? So for me, I was, like, when I got, like, back out of Syria, I would hear, like, fireworks. I would, like, run outside with, like, my phone trying to film, assuming it's, like, an air strikes or warplanes, you know. So all this trauma and all those like basic things. So for me, I think it's like the hub of the next generation, the hub of change. And some point, like I know like the power of the people is like way stronger than the power of any dictator. So it's going to be like a hub not only for Syria, but all many other countries where people are struggling with like authoritarian regimes and governments because they are all the same.
0: That last statement for me is so powerful that you've just said, the power of the people is stronger than the power of the dictators. And that's a takeaway that I think is going to feed me uh, for a long time to come, because I think sometimes we get overwhelmed by how weak we think we are. But when you contrast it against something that you've just said, which is standing in the city of Berlin and thinking, this used to be a war zone. And yet look at it today. That those are really powerful words. Aziz, thank you so much for being with me on the front lines of freedom today. And thank you for letting us into your story. I know that some of these things are difficult things to talk about and to bring back up, but thank you for inspiring us and and for and for reminding us once again that we are more powerful than we think
1: we are. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course, Well, that is the front lines
0: you. of freedom. As always, I have to tell you that it is absolutely incredible the things I hear, the things you hear from the people we host uh, with us. Aziz walked us through things that are not just horrible to imagine, but almost impossible to live through. And yet there are people who lived through it, people who had barrel bombs dropped on them, who had all sorts of chemicals and chemical warfare released into them and children who had their nails pulled out and it's just it's it's unthinkable and yet he and his friends and many whose names we shall never know whose faces we shall never be able to see started a journey that they believe they cannot walk back but must keep going forward and that's my encouragement for you today that there are certain journeys that are unwalkable backwards you, the only option you have is to continue going forward. And like Aziz said today, the power of the people is stronger than the power of the dictators. Thanks for listening again today and um, hopefully we will see Syria free. In fact, I know we will based on what Aziz has told us today. Please share this with a friend and um, and be, be powerful, be amazing where you are. This is Ivan Mawaride on the front lines of freedom. Thanks again and bye-bye.